Tell you it's a powerful song, John R. Rice song. I said we enjoyed being in some good churches while we were gone. We were traveling in the hills of North Carolina the first Sunday we were gone. And it's hard to find a good church online. It really is. I mean, how do you really size up a church by just looking at what it's like? And so we looked and tried to find one in the proximity. And, and really, I had, I shared with my wife, I really kind of wanted to be in a, a church that reflected the culture of the hills of North Carolina. And I'm telling you, we found one. I mean, it was, wasn't it? It was amazing. Um, <laughs> so God has his people in a lot of places. Aren't you thankful to the Lord? for that. Luke chapter 18. We're going to read a few verses here about the healing of a blind man. This this particular record is found in 3 of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I want to just use it to um emphasize a particular aspect of prayer. Luke chapter 18. Let's begin reading in verse 35. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him, that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, this blind man cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he, Jesus, asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his side and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. You know, you, one might wonder why, I mean, it seemed like the, the, the need of the man was obvious. Why, why the question was even asked, what wilt thou that I should do unto you? What, in our language, what would you want me to do for you? And I want us to look at this together. And I want you to be thinking about this as we go through the message tonight, and that is this. What would you like for God to do unto you? You know, I was, I was preparing the message. I was thinking about that familiar passage in the Scripture where Solomon, the son of David, became the king of Israel, and he was so overwhelmed by the responsibility of it 
that when the Lord came to him in a dream and a vision and asked him, what, what one thing could I do for you? And of course Solomon said, I'm, I don't know how to handle this responsibility. I'm paraphrasing. There's so much, I'm, I'm not up to the task. And so I'd ask you to do this. Give me, give me a hearing heart. Give me wisdom. And God answered. And of course he became the wisest man that ever lived. So the question is, what would you want God to do for you? That's what the blind man was presented with. What would you want me, Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? And what if that was presented to you tonight? I'm, and I ask you to present it to yourself. What is the one thing I would want God to do for me tonight? And we'll make our way to that point here in a little bit. But let's pray again. Father, please bless tonight as we study Thank you again that we have your word that's more than just a record of experiences, more than just inspirational stories. It's the very word of God. We thank you for it tonight, and we honor it and respect it as such. And we realize tonight that without you, we can't even understand the scripture, much less how it would apply to our lives personally. So we pray that you'd help us tonight, help us to be attentive, help us to Consider the question, what wilt thou have me to do for you? And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Just to kind of refresher about this man's condition, we know he was blind. We know he was sitting on the side of the road by the wayside, and he was begging. In our journeys over the last two weeks, we saw... Numerous people begging. We, I was asked not once or twice or five times, many times by people, could you spare some change? A lot of these inner cities, people are home, homeless, shelters set up, tents camping under bridges, people who are sleeping on park benches. It's just, just uh, you know, it's a sad lot for people, but begging is a part of their lifestyle. That's where this man was he's but he's but, but he's unique in the fact that he was blind completely without sight and he hears the noise just to kind of get us on board with what's taking place he, he hears this noise and the bible says there was a multitude of people verse 36 and hearing the multitude that word multitude is not used for a few dozen people these are probably in the hundreds maybe even thousands when Jesus fed the multitude at one time, it was 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So a multitude is a mass of people. He's sitting in, in the dirt, and it's, he's blind, and he's begging, asking people for a handout. And he, he hears this commotion, and he asks, verse 6, 36, he asks what it meant. What is the cause? What's the, what is actually happening? And the only answer was given to him in verse 37 was that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. It's obvious to me in the text that he knew who Jesus of Nazareth was. He knew that it was more than just Jesus who was born in Galilee in the city of Nazareth because he begins to cry out to him. And when the Bible says cry out, I'm not going to demonstrate 
for you. But he was screaming out in verse 38. And, and we understand why. Because he's blind. He can't see what's going on. And he has to raise his voice above the commotion of all these people that were around him. And, and he begins to cry out. And this is what he cried out in verse 38. He cried saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. So what he said, I believe, tells us more about him, um, that he knew more about Jesus than Jesus was just a man by the name of Jesus who came from Nazareth. He knew he was the son of David. This was like his messianic credentials. That, he, that, was, the, that was the credential for the Messiah, that he would be born of the son, he would be a son of David, a descendant of David. And so I think he recognized Jesus as the Messiah and he asked him in verse 38, have mercy on me. And so he, he's blind, he's a, he's a beggar, he's poor, but he had spiritual insight because he, he knew who Jesus was. He knew that he was merciful and compassionate. He had, he had reason to hope that if he just hear my voice, then he'll help me. He knew he was capable of healing him. So he knew he had some insight, even though he, was, he was, uh, had these handicaps or disabilities. They tried to hush him up in verse 39. It says, When they, they which went before rebuked him, they rebuked this man that he should hold his peace, keep quiet, but that didn't stop him. He would not be denied, he wouldn't be silenced. He cried much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. In verse 40, it says, and Jesus stood. I think one of the other gospels says that he stood still. He stopped and commanded him to be brought unto him. Bring the beggar, the blind man, to me. And so, so this is really an amazing event, you know. And um, another thing that adds to me to the drama of it is because he had just come through the city of Jericho, which is on the eastern side of Jerusalem. He's come through the city of Jericho, and we know where he's going. He's on his way to Jerusalem. That's about a 15-mile walk. It's not very far. There were a couple of days on our vacation. My wife and I walked a couple of, we walked about 10 miles on two days, each of those days. We, walked, we like to walk. So to walk 15 miles is not a long, really a long walk. And what's in, what is in Jerusalem that's, Jesus, that's awaiting Jesus? We know what's there. His betrayal, his disciples are going to turn their backs on him. He's going to be, he's going to be beaten. He's going to be misrepresented. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be crucified. So that's what's, that's what's on his mind. If I was, if I was a 15-mile walk away from that, I'm afraid I wouldn't be really aware of people around me that had needs. You know what I'm saying? That's one of the makes this, this whole narrative so special because uh, when I read it, it's amazing to me what a, what, what a Savior Jesus is that he would take time for a poor blind man at a moment like this when he's about to go to the cross and suffer unimaginable torture it also makes me think that sometimes that I'm guilty of when I'm thinking of something before me something on the horizon I miss opportunities that are around me but Jesus wasn't like that he didn't miss opportunities so this blind man gets his attention 
and makes his request. And verse 41, what would I that I should do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. What would you want me to do for you? Now that, again, it seems to me almost like a rhetorical question, like something that wasn't really necessary to ask. But if you're, you're probably aware in the Gospels, and I'm not going to turn to them, but there are numerous times that Jesus asked questions when the answer was obvious. And I think part of the reason is to get people to acknowledge or to admit or to confess what their real need is. What, what is your need? And by the way, this is still true. If you're not willing to admit your need, then you're probably not going to get the help that you need. That's true in salvation. If you want to admit that you're lost, if you want to admit that you're a sinner, you have to acknowledge that if you want to get assistance or help from the Lord. It's true in if you have an addictive behavior, a sin problem, whether that problem is drugs or alcohol or smoking or, or complaining or negative attitude or or pride, or whatever the... If you're not willing to admit you have a need, you're probably not going to get any help. So I think that's one of the reasons why he, 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 he does that. And it's also true in general, and this really is kind of introducing us to the point that we really want to emphasize tonight, and that's true as it relates to our spiritual condition, even as believers. You know, if we always look at ourselves and say, well, I'm okay... I'm fine, I'm better than other people, you know, do, you know what I'm saying? We're really not going to experience what God has for us. We have to be willing to see things as they really are. And let's mark your place there, if you would, or hold that with your finger and go to the book of Revelation. And I want to read some verses here that some of you could probably quote from memory or nearly quote, but in Revelation chapter 3, we have an example of a, a, a of a, not only an individual, but really a church that was incapable or in, unable or unwilling to really see the need that they had. And again, I'm, just, I'm saying this because Jesus asked that man, what do you want me to do for you? Because he wanted him to recognize and admit and confess and acknowledge his need. So look in Revelation 3 and verse 14. This is the message of the Lord to the angel, to the messenger of the church of Laodiceans. And this is it in verse 14. Let's just look at this together. Just to, just to use this as a, an example of what we're talking about. These things, this is the message from the Lord. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. In other words, this is the Lord speaking. And this is what he says in 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Pretty strong language. And he said, I know exactly where you are. You're not really on fire. You're not really cold. You're just kind of um, in between. Lukewarm is the word he used in verse 16. 
Verse 17, because thou sayest. Now this is how they saw themselves. Because thou sayest. This is the testimony of the church members there. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. In other words, we're blessed. We have need of nothing. We're, our needs are met. We're okay. We're fine. And knowest not. You don't even know that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So there's a great dis great disconnect between what they were saying about themselves and what the Lord said about them. I counsel thee in verse 18, this is my advice, to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, purity, holiness, that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Now why that? Because they're blind. They were blind to their own condition. And then he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. And a verse here in verse 20 that, again, most of you would be very familiar with. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and will sup with him and him with, and he with me. So here's a, here's a classic example of a church, a congregation of people. And if you were to ask them the question that Jesus asked, you know, what do you want me to do for you? They'd have basically said, really, I'm okay. You know, I'm fine. I'm, we're doing all right. And in the reality, that's the way we are sometimes. I'm okay. You know, I know I could be better, but I know people that are doing worse, etc. And, and, and really, what, what the Lord is pleased with is not us being self-sufficient. You know, Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are they that do mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so I, I really believe, I've thought about this a great deal, related to even this recent crisis in Afghanistan is I think our, our comfort and our convenience often in this country works against us. We have it so easy. I mean, really, the biggest problem that many believers has today is, you know, whether someone doesn't like what they posted on Facebook or, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, it's really pathetic. A lot of times the things that really get under our skin and bother us and we're not really concerned about more important things. Those people over there that were hanging onto that airplane as it taxied down the tarmacs and lifted up off the ground, and they're still holding on, hoping that somehow they can ride that plane safely to America. I mean, that's, isn't that pretty desperate, isn't it? That's about as desperate as you can imagine. Those, and I'm thinking... We look at our lives and we're just spoiled rotten a lot of times in reality. So what Jesus wanted, back to our text, what Jesus wanted this blind man to do is he wanted him to, to articulate what his greatest need was. What, what do you think your greatest need is? I'm going to come back to the question that I asked in the beginning. What, what would you say if you had to articulate, this is my greatest need at this moment. You know, what would it be? And that's what Jesus was getting, trying to get this man to do, which he did, obviously. And how would we answer that simple question? Um, 
You may not see the connection here, but I want I'll turn with me before we get back to the Luke's passage. Go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Just a couple of verses here that, that explains to me or presents um, a characteristic of God that I think is helpful if we understand. Mark chapter 6 and verse 47. It says that when, when evening was come, or when even was come, the ship, the disciples are on this ship. The ship was in the midst of the sea, and he, Jesus, alone on the land. And verse 48 says, and he saw them toiling in rowing. Jesus observing from a distance there in a storm. He watches them toiling in their rowing. For the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, the middle of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea. And the next phrase is what I just want to emphasize for a moment. And would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. Now, if we believe the Bible is really inspired of God, we really believe that the words matter, then when Jesus came walking upon the sea, when these disciples were in a storm, that had they not cried out to him, he just would have walked right by. Is that what you get out of that text? He would have passed by them. The point is, Jesus is not under any obligation to kind of shake us and get our attention and make us make good decisions. He, he's, he would have passed by and just left them there had they not called out to him and cried out to him. And I wonder how many times in our own lives when, when we fail to really recognize how much we need him, I mean, do we have any reason to believe, do I have any reason to believe that Jesus would have healed that blind man if he wouldn't have cried out to him. I'm led to believe, no, he wouldn't have. He was walking by, he was on his way. It's not that he didn't care about him, but he used this man crying out to him and reaching out to him for him to respond to it. And if you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, well, God knows who I am, and if he cares about me, he's going to always be around when I need him. I think that's a very unwise way of looking at the way God is. And we ought to be looking for God to work in our life, and we ought to be wanting Him and asking Him, Lord, this is what I need. This is, what, this is the greatest need in my life. And so now let's get back to Luke chapter 18, because we don't want, we don't want Him to pass by our life. We want Him to respond to us. We want to cry out to Him. So here we have this man. His name is Barnabas, and... He's a needy man. He's a poor man. He's a beggar. He's a pauper. He has nothing, but he's also blind. Now, we can, we can say with confidence, I believe, that his poverty was related to his blindness. But when, when Jesus asked him, what would you want me to do for you? He said, I want to be able to see. 
By the way, he refers to him in verse 41 as Lord. I think that's significant. He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. I want to be able to see. Now, Barnabas made a wise choice in this request because this is what I think he did. He asked for the thing that mattered the most. Now, he could have asked for food, right? He needed food. He's a beggar. He could have asked for money, right? He needed money. He's poor, but he didn't ask for those things. He asked for his eyesight, and he was very specific, which I think is important. He didn't just say, God, imagine that, imagine that Jesus would have said to Barnabas, Lord, what do you want me to do for you? And Barnabas would have said, I just want you to bless me. He, wouldn't, he didn't just say, I want you to bless me. And I mention that because that's where our prayers are sometimes. Lord, I just want you to bless me. He was specific. He said, I want to be able to see. I want, I want you to give me my eyesight. And, and what happened as a result? Verse 42, we're in Luke chapter 18, verse 42. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. So he, he immediately received his sight and he began to follow the Lord. Now, now I want to just focus in on that question. Lord, that I may receive my sight. And the, or the, the question that preceded that, I'm sorry, verse 41, what wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? So what if, you, what if that was your, what if that was my question? Lord, this is what I want you to do for me. And any number of things might come to our mind. You might think, Lord, I wish you would help me with my arthritis pain. I might say that, right? Lord, I, I really need this. Or I really need you to help me with my mortgage payment or my rent or my utilities. All right, Lord, if, what would you like for me to do? I, I just need a better job. Or I need, I need you to fix this broken relationship that I have with my, someone in my family or friends. And I say all those things to say this. I think... If using this blind man as an example, we ought to ask for the thing really that matters the most. I mean, if Barnabas would have said, I need some money, that he really needed money. If he had have said, you know, something else, I, I'm, I, I need food, I need food. And for some people, we, my wife and I saw people in the last two weeks were traveling right before us, go up to a trash can, start digging through the trash can, trying to find food. Well, I mean, to that person, they would, if you had asked them, what do you need more? They would probably said, I, I just, if I could just have a Happy Meal, that would be good. You know what I'm saying? But what did they really need the most? If you were to ask them, what could I do for you? And I think it's possible, I think it's even maybe even common 
if the Lord were to say, what is it you want more than anything that we think about physical things, we think about medical things, we think about emotional needs rather than our spiritual needs. When really our spiritual needs are more and far more important, far more significant than physical or emotional things. You know, this, this is illustrated a little bit in a passage in Acts that I want to turn to. And then we'll come back, probably come back and stay in Luke for the remainder of our time. But in Acts chapter 3, um, if you want to look there with us, Acts chapter 3, it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, it's morning time. And um, Peter and John are going up to the temple in verse 2 again. A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms. Alms are like donations, charitable gifts. To ask alms of them that entered in the temple. That's a good place to be. These are religious people. These are God-fearing people. If any place there's a group of people that might be compassionate, it ought to be these people. They took him every day to sit there. Now, he was, he was lame. Um, verse 3, though, it says, Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms. Do you have some change? Could you help me? And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something. They're going to give me some money. They're going to give me a donation. They're going to help me buy some food. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So here's a man who thought what he needed was a handout. That's what he thought he needed. If I just had some food, if I just had some money. But what he really needed was a spiritual touch. Now again, just to illustrate the point we're trying to emphasize, what is, what, if I were to ask, if I would have asked you before we even got into this lesson tonight, what, what it would be your greatest need in your life I think without even thinking it through, sometimes we'd think about something physical, something financial, something emotional. But what if our greatest need, and this is our greatest need, is really a closer relationship with God? And a person could say, well, that won't help me pay my bills. That won't help me financially. Or a person may say, well, that won't fix this broken relationship, this friendship that's Shatter. This won't deal with the, the stress and the fear and the anxiety or the loneliness that I have. But you know, not to be insensitive to those things, but in reality, a closer relationship with God will help us with all those things. You know, teaching, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, he said that, um, one of my favorite verses, by the way, that bodily exercise profiteth little. <laughs> but he said, then he goes on to say this, but godliness, think about this, but godliness is profitable unto all things. 
godliness, godliness, young person, will help you in every area of your life. There may be a young man or a young lady that would say, what I need most, what I need more than anything is I need a, a spouse. I need a, mar- I need a marriage partner. I need to know who, and you know what, that's very true. But godliness is profitable unto all things. The best thing we can do about our financial situation is to be a godly person. You know, Bible Christianity will impact our financial discipline and give us perspective in our life. It'll it'll affect our marriages. It'll help us in training our children. It'll help us forgive people who've wronged us. It'll help us avoid bitterness. You know, all these things are enhanced and helped because we have a closer relationship to God. So the thing we need most is not just to fix what's broken in our marriage. We need to fix that, but what we need more than anything is a close relationship to God. And tonight, I'd just like for us in our own mind to sort of articulate in our mind what we think is our most important request to God. And if, if, and if in your mind and in your heart you say, God, I just, I just want to be closer in my relationship to you, that's really a good question. That's a, you say, well, that's not the most important thing. What could be more important than that? I want to become a more effective witness. I want to, I want to, I need help overcoming some, some negative or hurtful habit that I have. And Lord, I need your help to do that. I need to, I need to learn to think biblically. I need to learn to think according to your word and not just what my natural thoughts are. And you know what I think God would have us to do is just say, Ask me for the thing that's the most important thing, and and I'll give that to you. I believe God will do that. You know, when, whenever a Barnabas get, began to cry out to the Lord in verse um, thirty nine, and the Bible says that those that were around him, those who were with him, rebuked him. They tried to rebuke him for crying out to the Lord. And you know what? That, that to me is, is sort of a parallel of when, when a person really thinks, you know, I really want to get my life as close to God as I can possibly get it. And there's going to be things within and without that try to hinder you from doing that, discourage you from doing that. You know, like... And there's something, I believe, about human nature that we try to figure out a way to do it on our own rather than really depending on God and trusting God and putting God first. Why is it that we, when we determine we're going we're to start our day off in prayer and, and reading the Word and spending time with the Lord, there are just so many things try to get in the way of that and keep us from doing that. You know Why? Because the devil wants to keep us from doing the thing that's most important. And that's our spiritual nutrition, our spiritual relationship with God. And if we're not careful, we can become like those Laodiceans who think, well, I'm okay, I'm doing okay. You know, 
Things could be worse. And you know what God said to them? And I think if we could hear him, he might say the same thing or a similar thing to us sometimes. You see yourself a certain way, but I see you differently than that. We need to turn to him with all of our heart. And you know, what what Barnabas experienced was this. If, if If he got the most important thing, which was his eyesight, then the other stuff, like his knees, getting a job, taking care of, those things will help. And the same thing when our, in our own life. And we know this. We know what Barnabas knew about Jesus. He's not just another person. He's the Almighty. And there's nothing that he cannot do. He is fully capable. If he's capable of helping Barnabas, he's helpable, capable of helping us. And he's merciful. He is a compassionate God. He wants to help us. And if there was a person here tonight that says, this is, what I've, this is what I really see tonight. More than I just need more of this or more of that. What I really need is more of the Lord in my life. And I'm gonna, I want with all of my heart to ask God, do something in my heart, my life to change me. I'm telling you, God will answer that prayer. So what is it that you want Jesus to do for you? And tonight, I would like to urge you to think about that. And don't think about it just in terms of, man, you know, if I had a million dollars. or Don't think of it in terms like that. Because you know what? If we're not where we need to be spiritually, a million dollars is not going to fix what's wrong with us. And I want to have a, a time of prayer here in a little bit. But I, want to sp- I just really want to specifically point our minds toward our revival meeting that's going to start a week from this Sunday. And I want to really pray that God would use that to really work in our hearts and lives. But I want you to pray that God will use it to work in your heart. You know, you're going to be encouraged and blessed by the preacher that's going to be with us he's an outstanding preacher and a godly man but you know it, what, what really we need is not just to have another sermon or whatever we need for God to work in our hearts and you say well aren't you going to be praying for us yeah but I'm going to be praying for me too I want God to work in my heart and I'd like to encourage you to be praying this is the request what if the Lord said to you what do you want me to do For you. What do you want me to do for you? And be specific. Maybe you want to pray that God would not only work in your life, but in the lives of your family members. Maybe you have family members that aren't saved. Maybe you have family members that are in a bad place spiritually. God, I want you to work. I want you to work in our lives. Do I believe that sometimes people can come to a meeting just like this service tonight? Could a person come to a service tonight not really asking the right questions, not really even in the proper frame of mind spiritually, and yet God in his goodness and mercy might meet with us and speak to us and help us and give us direction? Sure, God can do that. But I think it'd be even better if you think he's going to be passing by that you cry out to him yourself and say, Lord, I need this. 
I'm not satisfied with where I am spiritually. I know there's more that you have for me. You know, revival, when revival comes to a people, it comes to individuals. It doesn't come to a group of people, it comes to individuals. And so tonight, as we wrap this up, I'm gonna, I want to ask you that you would take the next few moments and say, Lord, this is what I want you to do for me. Don't even pray. I mean, you can pray for other people, pray for your family, but don't, don't assume that you're okay. Don't be like the Laodiceans and say, I'm okay. Maybe you're okay physically, but are you really where you ought to be spiritually? Do you, are you really where you know God wants you to be? And you know, the, the, the bottom line, the end result of all this was God was glorified. People saw what happened and they glorified God. And it wouldn't be blessing if, if, if God would do such a work in your life. I'm talking about you as a young person, you as a mom, a dad, you as a grandparent, you as a senior citizen, that God would do such a work in your life that people around you could see it and glorify God and say, you know, God did that. Wouldn't that be a blessing? That's the difference in just coming to church and being religious and saying, God, I want you to work in my life and work, do something real in my life. What wilt thou that I should do unto you? That's the question. What, what, what the Lord said to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Do you think Jesus knew what he needed already? Sure he did. But he wanted him to say it. You know what? Whether you see the need in your own life or whether I see the need in my own life, Jesus sees the need clearly. Right? He sees it clearly. And he wants us to say, Lord, I want you to do this in me. I'm tired of being where I am. I want you to do something in my life. And if you want to come to the altar and do that, if you want to do it there at your seat, but I want us to take a few minutes and just say, Lord, this is what I want you to do. I need you to do this in my life. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Our Father, as we pray this evening, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your ways that you responded to this single, loud, persistent, desperate voice and gave him what he needed what would change his life and Lord we can assume that there were many people in that crowd who got nothing when he got everything he needed. 
And Lord, we want you to work in our lives. We want you to have your way in us. And I pray that you'd just put it on the hearts of parents to pray for themselves, to pray for their children. God, help us, deliver us from that Laodicean lukewarmness that basically says we're okay. And Lord, they were blind and we can be blind. God, we want our eyes to be open. So would you hear our prayers, not just tonight, but in the days ahead, in the nights ahead. God, I pray knowing that being the omniscient God that you are, that no matter how many people are seeking you at one time, you hear us individually. God, would you work in our hearts? Would you do a work in our hearts?